0: I started a series last week entitled Learning Leadership from the Best. And I want you to know something, folks. You say, Well, Pastor Benny, is it relevant to me? Listen to me very closely. This is the foundation. Leadership is influence. Leadership is not your title, leadership's not your position, leadership's not your education level, it's influence. So that tells me the mother's a leader. That tells me that the person, the nurse, is a leader. The LPN's a leader. That tells me a teacher's a leader. The person that's a secretary at the Rotary Club, that person's a leader. The businessman's a leader. The pastor, the coach, we're all leaders because leadership is influence. And here's what God placed on me. If everything rises and falls on leadership, why not learn leadership from the greatest leader who ever lived? Yes, the greatest leader who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And we talked about last week that leaders serve. Leaders serve. And I want to bring you to component number two this week about learning leadership from the best. I want you to take your Bible to one of my favorite books in all the Bible, perhaps my most favorite, Philippians chapter 4. And I want to call your attention to verse 11 through verse 13. Verse 11 through verse 13. The great apostle Paul said these words. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith be content. I know I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Years ago, I was with Dr. Elmer Towns. Probably don't know that name, but Dr. Elmer Towns was one of the co-founders of Liberty University. He and Dr. Jerry Falwell, the largest Christian university in the world today. Dr. Towns is still living. He's in his 80s. And I said, Dr. Towns, you've given your life to studying leadership. You've given your life to studying leaders. What's the common trait that all great leaders have? Whether it's the mother in the home, it's the president in corporate America, it's the coach, it's the teacher, it's the pastor, it's the professor. What's the commonality? What is that common trait, Dr. Towns, that all great leaders have? He said, Brother Benny, all great leaders have a positive outlook. All great leaders have a positive outlook. I love what Napoleon said. He said, leaders are dealers in hope. Leaders are dealers in hope. And I thought, that sums up Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ certainly had a positive outlook. And Jesus Christ believed the best in people. Now, in John chapter 1, there was a guy who had had a history of being unstable. But he encounters Jesus. His name was Simon, an unstable guy. But Jesus said, Simon, I see something in you. I'm going to change your name to Cephas, which means a stone or a boulder. He said, Because I don't see you as an unstable individual, I see you as a leader of the apostles. Peter, I see you as a writer of the New Testament. I see you as a great leader. Because Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, he didn't just see people as they were. He saw people as they could be. He didn't just see them as they were. He saw what they could become. In Matthew chapter 9, there was a lady who had an issue of blood. We we push on through that but she had a chronic bleeding disorder. And I don't know if you realize, if you really understand the ramifications of a chronic bleeding disorder. She was considered unclean. She was ostracized from people. She was considered less than. You didn't want to touch her. Nobody touched her. But Jesus said, I'm willing to touch her. And she said, If I can just touch the hem of his garments, I know I'll be made whole. If I can just touch him. And Jesus looked at her and he did something for this lady, ladies and gentlemen, that he did for nobody else in the Bible. There's not one other woman in the Bible that he called daughter. You can't find it. Not one other woman. I thought about the name she must have been called. But Jesus called her a name that he called nobody else. And he called her daughter and said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Because Jesus Christ believed the best in people. You know what's amazing, folks? In Luke chapter 8, there was a lady who Jesus cast... Seven devils out of her. Mary Magdalene. Now, how would you like to be married to a woman who had seven devils in her? You say, Pastor, sometimes I feel like I am. Amen? But I mean seven devils. But you know what's amazing? When Jesus was resurrected, when he was resurrected, I would have thought the first one to see him Perhaps should be the high priest. Perhaps the first one to see the resurrected Jesus Christ ought to be one of his 12 disciples. Perhaps the first one to see Jesus Christ should be a scribe who wrote the Old Testament. He said, no, the first one to see me after I resurrect is going to be Mary Magdalena. The woman whom I cast seven devils out of. The very first person that I'm going to trust with the message of the resurrection. Oh, and know folks don't, it wasn't a man. It wasn't a man. He said the very first person I'm going to trust is a woman. And I'm going to trust Mary Magdalene to take the message of the resurrection. Jesus was a person who had a positive outlook. When the disciples were at an all-time low, Jesus looked at them in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, here's what's so wonderful, folks. We get the foundation for faith. We get the foundation for a positive outlook in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And there's four components I want you to see. Component number one is this. A positive outlook has little to do with your circumstances. A positive outlook has little to do with your circumstances. Now, when Paul wrote Philippians, verse 11... When he said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Now, that's so encouraging, folks. The greatest Christian who ever lived other than Jesus was the Apostle Paul. And he said, I have learned. It's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. Amen? He said, I've learned. I've not arrived. I'm just continually learning. None of us are a know it all, folks. We're continually learning. And Paul said, I've learned. In whatsoever state I am, there will be content. You say, now, Pastor, where was Paul when he wrote this? He was in a Roman prison, not in a jacuzzi in the Ritz Carlton. He was in a Roman prison. If you study Paul's life, in and out, he spent six years in prison. But here he said, I've learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith be content. He said, My circumstances are not the best. Two men looked out prison bars, one saw mud. The other saw stars. A positive outlook has little to do with circumstances. Two men from Chicago go to an island to sell shoes. One calls back and says, Come and get me. Nobody here wears shoes. The other one calls back and says, Send 10,000 pairs. Everybody needs them. You can't change your circumstances, but you can change your outlook. And things turn out best, as John Wooden said, for those who make the best of how things turn out. It's a wonderful quote by Coach Wooden. Things turn out best... For those who make the best of how things turn out, a positive outlook has little to do with circumstances. But I'll tell you something else. A positive outlook has much to do with the control of your thought life. I love what he said in verse 12. He said, I know both how to be abased I know how to be humbled. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. What was he saying? He was saying when things go wrong, don't go with them. When things go wrong, don't go with them. Let me tell you something: your problems, not the IRS, it's not CBS, it's not PMS. It's your thinking. If you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but you think you can, it's almost certain you won't. Because life's battles don't always go to the stronger, faster man. But sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. A positive outlook has much to do with the control of your thought life. Think about this. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses was getting ready to lead the people into the promised land. Now God had promised them the land, and folks, you've heard it a thousand times. If God says an elephant's going to lay an egg, get your skillet. God had promised them the land; it was done, signed, sealed, and delivered. So, well, now God's promised me; I'm going to marry that man, honey. If he's promised you, you're going to marry him. You will. You will. If God's promised you that. God promised them the land. Moses sends 12 spies out. Ten of them go out and say, oh, 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 there's giants in that land. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're scared to death. Don't ask you something, folks. Come up real close. Do you think that those ten guys got close enough to those giants that those giants said, you guys are like grasshoppers in our sight. (laughs) Not on your life. Those giants didn't say that. They told themselves that. They told themselves that. See, folks, it's what we tell ourselves A positive outlook has much to do with the control of your thought life. Oh, folks, the only two guys who made it there from that original group was Joshua and Caleb. But Joshua and Caleb said, They're big, but we can take them. They're big, but we can take them. I love what William James said. He said, You can alter your life. By altering your attitude. I heard about a guy that was so negative. Everything, he just saw the negative side of everything. I think I used to be his pastor. (laughs) He just had the spirit of criticism, he just had the gift of criticism. I remember years ago, I had a lady in the church, and she's just so negative. Everything was negative. She's critical of everything I did. And one day she walked up to me and she said, That's an ugly necktie you've got on. She said, Hold it out. And I held it out. And she took scissors and cut it off. I said, Would you stick your tongue out? (laughs) This guy was so negative and one day he had a friend and this friend was out at this lake and he saw this dog and this dog was walking on water no no it, it wasn't a bulldog it was just a dog that was. <laughs> the gamecock killed the bulldog but anyway the bulldog was walking on water it wasn't walking on water it was a dog but it was, it was walking and he said that's amazing He said, my old negative friend, I can't wait to bring him and show him this. He'll have to say something positive. So he got his friend, and that old dog, Tennessee hound dog, started walking. (laughs) Started walking on water. He said, what about that? He said, that dog can't swim, can he? Oh, folks, that's not how we want to be. We want to be like that 90-year-old man that got married and started looking for houses in a good school district. Amen? <laughs> a positive outlook has much to do with the control of your thought life. Let me tell you something. Oh, i got to move. A positive outlook has everything to do with its cornerstone. Now, get this. Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, wait. Secular humanism says you just got to believe in yourself. Self-help talk. Positive. Positive. You, you, as as long as you've got self-help, you tell yourself how wonderful you are, you can conquer anything. But I'm going to prove to you that doesn't work. Goliath goes against David. Remember? Tall guy. Big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it. You remember Goliath. Goliath goes against David, and he said these words. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear every part of your body to pieces. I'm going to rip you to shreds, and I'm going to feed you to the birds. That's pretty positive. But he got his head cut off. See, there's got to be a foundation. And the foundation is I can do all things through Christ. Paul was saying, I may have poverty, or I may have prosperity, I may be full, I may be hungry. Things may go good, but things may go bad. But I can do all things through Christ. See, Paul believed, ladies and gentlemen, Romans 8 and 28. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Paul believed that. And Paul prayed, ladies and gentlemen, to go to Rome and preach the gospel. According to Romans 1 and 10, Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher and preach the gospel. Now Here's what I want to say to you. We better be careful what we pray for. Because he went to Rome not as a preacher. He went to Rome as a prisoner. So when we say, God, draw me nearer, You don't know what you're saying. That may mean heartache. That may may mean pain. When we say, God, I totally surrender. That may mean difficulty. That may mean hardship. Paul said, I want to go to Rome. He went to Rome not as a preacher, but he went to Rome as a prisoner Once he got to Rome, he was guarded by the Praetorian Guard. It was the elite, the 10,000 top hand-picked Roman soldiers. They lived in the emperor's palace. And after 12 years of serving in the Praetorian Guard, they served in the Roman government. Every hour of the day, through four shifts... Paul was handcuffed to a member of the Praetorian Guard for two years. While he was handcuffed to these guys, Brother Benny, what happened? The Bible tells us, all the saints salute you chiefly. They that are of Caesar's household. While he was being handcuffed, he was reaching them for faith in Jesus Christ. He was reaching them for faith. That's why he said, ladies and gentlemen, in, in Philippians 1 in verse 12 everything that's happened to me has happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. He said I went through prison. I was two years there in Rome before they beheaded me. But he said I want to report to you I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me because a positive outlook has everything to do with the cornerstone and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. No matter what I'm going to trust him because he's working on things for my good and his glory. Now let me give you the last point. I'm done. A positive outlook has something to do with others because it's contagious. A positive outlook has something to do with others because it's contagious. Do you ever think about how this church at Philippi started? I want to tell you right quickly how it started. There was this soothsayer, fortune teller. Paul and Silas led her to faith in Christ. And the guys who were making money off her, they got upset. And they put Paul and Silas in prison. They beat beat them beyond measure. But listen very closely. At midnight... After these two men had been beaten beyond measure, in shackles and chains, they sang praises to God. And there was a jailer there. And that jailer heard that. And that jailer said, Those men have been beaten. They're in jail. But they've got a positive outlook. And whatever they've got is what I want. Whatever they've got is what I want. Because a positive outlook has something to do with others because it's contagious. I'll tell you something. David Jeremiah said something that I read this week. I wish I'd said it first because I wouldn't give him the credit. But I believe totally what Dr. Jeremiah said. Dr. Jeremiah said he was talking about marriage. And he said, he was talking, but he talked about Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'll tell you something that's really upset me for years. I wish the Bible said for wives to love their husbands. It really torques me that it doesn't. I wish over and over it said wives should show a lot of love for their hubby. But perhaps God knew if we loved our wives like we should, it would take care of itself. You know, it says wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And I don't care how good mom and daddy raised you, honey. It's not within you to do that. That only comes through the power of God. That only comes through surrendering totally to God, saying, listen, he's my spiritual leader. You say, Brother Benny, he's lost on his way to hell. According to the Word of God, you're still to submit to him. I don't care how people, how mad and angry people get with me. I'm going to preach the Bible, and the Bible says for husbands to love their wives and to serve their wives, and they should love, and they should serve their wives. But the Bible is very clear that the husband's to be the spiritual leader of the home, and it's a wife's responsibility to submit to the spiritual leader of the husband. Send the emails. I don't give a rip. It's the book. Now, here's what Jeremiah said that I totally agree with. Jeremiah said if anyone, if anyone, the husband or the wife, will begin to be everything they ought to be, in most cases, the other will take care of itself. Let me explain. When he shapes up, I'll blank. No, no. You become what you need to be for God. You just, ma'am, you just become what you need to be for God. Discard what he does. You just be everything you ought to be. And you know what he'll say? I don't know what it is. But there's something different about her. And the, the other's true. If, if that man, and that man really ought to be the one, he ought to lead the way, just while I'm preaching good, he ought to lead the way and say, it's not about her. It's about me. I need to get me right. I need to get me right. I'm not going to even talk about her. I'm going to get me right. Then he gets right. And she says, you know, there's something different about him. God's done something in him that I couldn't do. I tried all those years nagging him, and I couldn't do it. But God's done something in him. God's done something. And I need to become what I need to become. Positive outlook has something to do with others because it's contagious. And I'm not going to camp here long, but this is all I'm going to say and I'm going to bring the end this message. A positive outlook is contagious, but a negative outlook is too. David Rand, professor at Harvard, this is all I'm going to say, he said, the more friends you have that are content with their lives, the more likely you are to be. The more friends you have that are discontent, the more likely you are to be discontent. Sadness is twice as infectious as happiness. Let me give, give you this, folks. This is so, it's too good to leave out. Research has found... That your mind will naturally gravitate toward the negative. One study discovered that positive and negative memories are handled by different parts of the brain. A negative memory takes up more space because there's more to process. As a result, you remember negative events more than positive events. The study said that a person will remember losing $50 more than he will remember gaining $50. The negative effect has a greater impact carrying more weight than the positive. I can prove it. I can preach. And 500 people can say, You did a good job today. Well, thank you. But one old joy sucker can walk by that you just want to slap in Jesus' name. And for some reason, think about it, folks. You're you're a businessman. You do a lot of great jobs, and people, you don't remember that, but you remember that one negative job that they talked about. That tells me we have to work to have positive faith. Let me tell you something, folks. If we're going to lead like Jesus, now I'm enjoying this series. I'm, after it's all over, I'm going to buy the set. If we're going to lead like Jesus, we're going to have to have a spirit to serve. But you're going to have to have a positive outlook. Let me tell you something. As our musicians are coming, I'm done. Why wouldn't we be positive? Why wouldn't we have a spirit of anticipation and a spirit of faith? Think about it. God's with us. The Holy Spirit's inside us. And when this life is over, we go to a better place. This week, I went to see a man this last week who's having a very serious surgery. He's having brain surgery. And I spent time with him. He'd requested that I come. And I spent time with him, and I said, well, let me talk to you about what's most important. What's most important is being right with the Lord. And I said, do you want to be right with the Lord? He said, I so do. I so do. I said, I'll tell you what. Let's all pray a prayer. Let's pray the sinner's prayer. I said, "I, I, I want to pray the sinner's prayer. I said I had a staff member with me, but I said to his wife, I said, "Don't you want to pray the sinner's prayer and be right with the Lord?" She said, "Oh yes, I, I certainly do, because I, I want to know that I'm right." And I looked at the staff member and I said, "I'm not sure you're right. I'm kidding." But the staff member prayed the prayer too. But we all prayed the prayer. And then, then after we prayed the prayer, I said, Christ is in your heart, not on the basis of what I said, but on the basis of what God said, and you've done what God said. And then I said to him, You're going to go up there to that hospital, and they're going to be cutting on your head. And it's very serious. But I said, I want you to know something. Either way, you win. Either way, you win. We're believing God's going to bring you back home. That's what we're praying. But should he choose otherwise, you'll be with him in heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, if there's anybody that ought to have a positive outlook, it's Christian people because Jesus had a positive outlook. Friend, I trust the message today has spoken to your heart. And if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I've often said it's as simple as ABC. A stands for acknowledge. You've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. B stands for believe. You've got to believe that Christ and His blood was shed on the cross for your sin. And then see you simply must confess your sins to Him. I want to encourage you right now to repeat a simple prayer with me. I'll pray the prayer. You repeat it with me if you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. But God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry I want to change. I believe that you died for my sin. And I confess my sin to you right now. Come into my heart, Lord, and forgive me of all my sin. Now thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming in to my life. Amen. Friend, congratulations on the greatest decision that you'll ever make. And I want you to know, this decision is not based on how you feel right now. Because God's not a feeling. He's a fact. This decision is based on the fact that you have done what God's Word says you must do to have eternal life. So congratulations on the greatest decision you'll ever make. And thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.